go and let me read it, go through it, and I'll, what I'll tend to do is that this week I'll get on it and I can get some of these, I'll get these notes, uh, I'll, I'll type them and get them copied and you can get them. So you don't need to worry if you want to take notes. You could probably find you an overhead projector in a computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, it's interesting you say that. I had to speak at Landmark uh, Thursday night to their cross-country banquet. And my plan was to take, I had notes that I only had on transparency, on transparencies. And, and that's all I had. And I was going to type it up and use it. So I ended up having to take these transparencies in my notebook. But they were in big black letters. <laughs> And I had to use that, so yeah, I was going back to 1970s technology. And now we're before 1970s, we're 1950s, 60s. That, uh, all right, you, all right, so here we are, verses 40 through 45. I will read this. Mark is Mark 1, and the, the title of this is The Servant and the Hopeless. And I think you'll see that why uh, it's uh, designated that way. And the leper came to him. I linked that back up to verse 39. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And, you know, Mark is just all over the place with his use of the conjunctive and. It, it's, a, it's a speed. It indicates some speed writing, as it were. I mean, he's moving right along. And a leper came to him, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, (laughs) here's our word, Mark's word, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a a testimony to them, to the priest. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely. (laughs) He didn't listen to his orders and to spread the news about. To such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. It's interesting that Mark, through his gospel, highlights this fact, how the crowds just were crushing and altered Jesus' uh, agenda at times, I mean, at least his geographical agenda. And he would have to remove himself from the densely populated areas because what happens, what is happening, as we'll see, is that with the healing ministry and the crowds, it was overwhelming his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven at hand. And it's, it's like if you've ever seen pictures where people are in a drought or a starvation situation and food trucks come in. And, you know, they have to have, they have, to have uh, guards because there's created such panic and people just come and start taking and running. And so crowd control 
is what he's doing here. All right, let's get back to this. I want to say three things to get us up and running through this passage. Uh, one is this, is that this healing ministry of Jesus is uh, it's unparalleled in history. Never been anything like it before or since in its scope and in its power. Um, try to visualize it if you can. Just not to be compared to modern counterfeits. But you had thousands who were healed of a great variety of sicknesses and diseases. And these were real healings. These weren't things that you, uh, you know, you had to run before the local uh, medical establishment to get some kind of verification. These were obvious things. Uh, fevers, paralysis, withered hands, hemorrhaging, uh, blindness, deafness, uh, severed ears reattached, <laughs> uh, leprosy, and the dead were raised. Now, I think it's safe to say with that kind of, um, with that kind of publicity, it's just, just going to create some real, but it serves a function to draw attention to the message and the messenger. But the power of Jesus to perform these miracles came primarily through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. According to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it was done by the power of the Spirit. That Jesus performed most of his miracles as, um, as in his humanity under the power of the Spirit and trust in God. It was through this filling, this powering work of God's Spirit. So we can say this then, still on that first point of introduction, that the miracles of healing done by Jesus were, I'm going to run some adjectives by you, <laughs> they were abundant, they were spectacular, they were instant, they were undeniable, they were awesome, they were overwhelming, they were authoritative, they were total and convincing. So this is not some Benny Hinn running around with uh, all kind of contrivances and uh, you know, I, I've had the, you know, these internal subjective things uh, adding on. Do you ever see them add on limbs to amputees and doing things like that? No, but Jesus is distinguished. The second thing, the healing ministry of Jesus served as a preview. Key word here is preview. Key words, the other point, unparalleled in history here, preview that they served as a preview of the believer's experience in eternity, <clears throat> where sickness will be no more when we go into the presence of the Lord, based upon what? The fact that, yes, there is healing in the atonement. Long term, there is. And that the power of Jesus over sickness and death that demonstrated in his healing ministry was a design preview that he had the right to forgive sins. We mustn't forget this. Um, that the miracles showed that he could do so. He said this. And what's easier to say this? To say be healed. Well, you can measure that. You say, well, yes, he's healed. But then your sins are forgiven. Well, how do you see that? Is there an MRI? Say, oh, okay, yeah, we found the virus. Here it is. <laughs> The sin virus, you can't do it that way. So they also served as his messianic credentials. It was the way he identified himself as the Messiah, anticipated in the Old Testament. 
And these miracles, they called upon people to believe in Christ. They were revelatory in nature. And they couldn't coerce belief. The idea sometimes given (laughs) given by modern faith healers is that somehow miracles are just going to almost demand that you fall down and believe. No, they don't. And because they're part of revelatory, the revelation of God. And it takes the work of the Spirit of God to open blind eyes, spiritually blind eyes. And so <clears throat> here was an opportunity for people to see the works of God displayed in Christ. So all this is bound up in this preview work of miracles. That the works of the Father was work, and, he's, and I'm working now. You know, John, he makes much of this in the Gospel of John. And thirdly, um, thirdly, that the healing ministry of Jesus illustrated, that's the key word here, it illustrated the redemptive purpose of the incarnation. Why had he come? Not to alleviate poverty, not to uh, just heal the sick and raise the dead. There were plenty, plenty of people who were left in the graves who obviously weren't brought out. But... His healing ministry uh, illustrated the redemptive purpose of the incarnation, the crucifixion, and resurrection. And the, uh, the, what we have in this story is this healing of leprosy. It's a vivid picture, vivid picture of, of exactly what's involved in the power of the gospel to overcome a hopeless situation, namely that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians in chapter 2. And that these varieties of sicknesses and disease that Jesus encountered were all object lessons, actually. That's why one of the reasons why we have selective ones given in the Gospels. Out of thousands, if not tens of thousands of healing episodes in the three-year ministry of Christ, we have just a handful, what, 37 miracles? So you can see from that that there is a selective um, process in these. And they range through, of, of, there's variety in them. Eyes, blind can see, the dead are raised, leprosy, which was, talk about, it would be the ancient counterpart to terminal cancer. And uh, so what this does is that these healings, are object lessons. Uh, Sure, there was compassion, mercy, people got healed, but they were designed to give one an understanding of the wider purpose, the more profound, the deeper purpose of Christ. Look at the toll that sin takes on on the human race. You want to see what it's like? If you would like to know the depth and breadth of sin, well then, look at these physical ailments that we have. Cancer and, you know, brain tumors, and strokes, and uh, diabetes, oh, yes, and a person's lifelong struggle with these kinds of things, and uh, and death itself. But all of that, it should be getting to us. Wait, stop, hold on. Do you realize what you're doing? You're seeing put on on this tapestry here before our eyes, and you see all this. This points to why is there death? Why are we this way? It's because something is terribly wrong inside of us, and it's sin. So, it takes the physical realm to illustrate what's true in the spiritual realm. 
All right, with that said, now let's look at this one. Now, I'm going to make uh, four summary statements that uh, I think these, there are four movements in this little, what, six verses here. There are four movements. The first is this. A leper portrays the hopeless nature of sin. Just start there, verse 40. A leper portrays the hopeless nature of sin. Uh, I have to talk a little bit about uh, leprosy, so let's do that here for a moment. Uh, Anybody ever seen a leper? I I don't know that I have, though I may have not known it, going places like India and... I didn't go to the island of Hawaii, which there is that leprosy colony there, lepers colony, on the big island. It's quite famous, as it were, for its long-term care that it's given to many. Beth has actually just read a book about that ministry and someone converted in that story. But anyway, there's one of these, a leper colony and a ministry um, Philip Yancey and this co-author, a physician, I can't remember his name, but he runs this leprosarium in Louisiana. So there are these places about. But leprosy in the scripture, it's a general term for any skin disease. And not necessarily equivalent to what we know as Hansen's disease. And Hansen's disease, uh, named after our our Meyer Hansen, um, which there is this form, uh, the technical term is lepromatous, and it's the more dangerous kind, and it's tuberculoid in nature. And there is then a, uh, you, it starts with a discoloration of a patch of skin, and then you, it turns white or pink, and it develops into a long term disease. Uh, one description is that it starts out it's like a, with a spongy tumor, like in swelling growth on the face, on the body. It becomes systemic, and it involves the internal organs as well. And, and the skin creates deformities of the hands and the feet. And, uh, uh, and then there are periodic surges, exacerbation, where you would fall into a fever you fall into pain, and then that may subside, but you're just simply losing increasingly less uh, nerve-ending sensitivity to a region of the body. And, uh, and Luke tells us in his gospel that this man was full of leprosy, full of it. So, in other words, this is really advanced. And the, it's the rotting condition of the flesh in its final stages. Now, let me say one other, a little bit more about leprosy. It's, it's progressive. It isolates the victim in the community, brings great suffering, and it's fatal. Creates deformities, disfigurement, inability of nerve endings to relay the message of pain. And the result is numbness that you get in the extremity, in the feet, in the toes, in the hands, the ears, the face. And... It's like um, you've been to the dentist and you get some Novocaine, and if was, you know what that can be like, you can you can eat the inside of your mouth and not know it. It's kind of scary, you know. You bite your lip and you're coming down on it, and so what? <laughs> and so this is the, 
or, or a diabetic who lose feeling in the extremities. My mother had a stage two or type two, excuse me, type two diabetes for years. Oh my, what a awful thing to have to manage. And she eventually had to have one of her legs amputated. And uh, then she had to fight this phantom pain where your brain doesn't get the message and your brain is telling you that there's pain in that foot that's not there anymore. It was awful for her. So, but you get in leprosy, it cuts and burns and damage to the tissue. You don't feel it. And uh, vermin, rats can chew on you. I mean, you go to sleep and you think if you're already isolated as a leper, and you're living who knows where. I mean, you, you're isolated from the community. So during the night while you're asleep, rats can come in and just simply eat flesh, and you don't know it. Oh, it's, it's a horrific thing. But the leper was considered uh, ceremonially unclean in Israel. They couldn't worship at the central sanctuary. They couldn't go to the temple. So they were quarantined. And according to Leviticus 13, who, which maybe I ought to read the 13 and 45 and 46 is uh, is a good representative text. And you know, actually, Leviticus Leviticus 13:14. You, when you read your Bible through, uh, this is a passage that it's you think <laughs> it's kind of gross. Isn't it? Yeah, you say, wow, what a what a passage for my morning devotions. <laughs> Yeah, all this strange stuff growing out of off your on your skin, and uh, here it is, and uh, 45, 46 of Leviticus 13, and in Israel and the theocracy, they had very stringent rules governing this thing, the contagious nature of skin diseases, and um, and as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn. And the hair on his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry unclean, unclean. So you had to wear something that covered your mouth, the lower part of your face. You essentially, what you were doing is that you were kind of mimicking the way a person would look who's enshrouded for death. So you're, you're a dead person. And, and he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone, I mean, socially isolated on top of this, for the protection of the wider community. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, that's the the description. Um, This is, leprosy is used as an illustration of sin. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6, Psalm 51, 7. and you can, I think you can appreciate why it's such a vivid picture of sin, the contagiousness of it, and what it, well, we'll get into this more as we go along. Uh, David said in Psalm 51, 7, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So that's describing a... Uh, the, the skin that gets back to its original uh, nice, like baby skin. Yeah. Don't, old folks like to touch baby skin. And it's, wow, think, look at that. Huh? <laughs> and look at this. Uh, but the leper had to wear torn clothes, 
hair had to go uncared for, cover the lower part of the face and cry, unclean, unclean. So this is the way you go around the community making that announcement. And as long as the infection lasted, you remained unclean. So you had to live alone outside the camp. Now Jesus, let's get Jesus back into this picture. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, it's talk about a hopeless situation. Here it is. So the leper, uh, or Jesus, he's the only one who could heal a leper. Only one to give instantaneous. Now, there were other kinds of skin diseases. I mean, you could have psoriasis. Ooh, there's this. Anybody seen that? The shingles? Seen that shingles? There's a shingles commercial on it. And they're getting just a little bit more bold in the way they present these things. And it shows this guy's back. And they say, ah! And have you had your shingles shot yet? That you can get a shot for shingles. It's if you're, old, if you're yeah, yeah. I think things. Oh yes, yes. It's it be horrific, and it's the chickenpox virus. The chickenpox virus that can erupt. And um, Eric had uh, this is really unusual. He had a case of shingles when he was an infant, and it was he had had chickenpox. And he had it on his back. You can see there, there are little scars on his back, little uh, just in a in a row. One, two, little circle. One, two, three, four, five, six. Those nerve endings. And he was, bless his heart, he was in he was in a brace for his feet because his feet were not growing straight. So we had to put a we had to put a metal bar across. And I just came across fresh in my mind because I'm going through family stuff. And he had some, of course, baby shoes about that big. And on the bottom of the baby shoes, there was these little uh, uh, screw holes where you screw the shoes into the brace. He had to sleep that way at night. Uh, and I remember coming in, uh, and it was the providence of God. And he was sick, and he had shingles. And he had his feet in his brace, and he was on his back, and he was throwing up. I came in just so. Um, Lord, in his mercy. But back to leprosy. Uh, it was malignant in nature, and it presented an absolutely hopeless condition. Think terminal cancer. Think uh, pancreatic cancer or something. And, yes, it was not. Yeah, you were done. You just had to go find a place and die over time. And the leper saw in Jesus his only hope. And he didn't doubt Jesus' ability to heal him. This is uh, quite a testimony. He begged him to do so. Now, what's Jesus going to do? Um, okay, now this is what the leper didn't know. He knew he could heal him, but what would he do? And um, all right, I, so I want to say some things about the comparison between leprosy and sin, but I'm going to hold that because I think that's, um, that's a very important conclusion as you look at leprosy and see what it's like and what it does and then think <coughs> sin, why Jesus came. Well, let's hold that. Let's get the, let's get the other uh, movement here in verses 41 and 42 of Mark chapter 1 that uh, 
A leper can experience immediate and complete cleansing from Jesus. Immediate and complete. What did Jesus do? Um, he responded to the misery of this leper with compassion. Mark tells you that. And yes, Jesus saw him. What did Jesus think? Oh, what you and I would have thought. But here's the Creator. Here's the Savior who's come to deal with sin. Yes, He does bring some things to the situation we wouldn't. But He did bring human. He brought compassion to that. And He saw the awful condition of the leper. His appearance. His smell. uh, His cry for help. Jesus was moved by this. And so His compassion just immediately flowed. And then Jesus did something that you wouldn't have done to a leper unless you knew what you were doing he touched him touched him now according to rabbinic regulations to touch a leper meant ceremonial defilement so you then you touched the leper whether it was you know uh, inadvertent or on purpose maybe a loved one you want to go out of the camp and take them some food you actually didn't touch them you had you were ceremonially unclean and had to go through an extraordinary ritual process to be able to go to the sanctuary and worship. You, we'd say you couldn't go to church. Mm. And the, so the unclean uh, made the clean unclean. And But Jesus touched him. But Jesus is the source of ceremonial cleansing. And his touch expressed um, his feeling of compassion. He reached out to him. And when he touched him, the leprosy was gone immediately. So his flesh, I can only guess as to what he may look. Maybe he had lost his hands, uh, his fingers, toes. Who knows how advanced it was. But instantly, these deformities and disfigurement in the dying flesh was all new. Think of it, like baby skin. (laughs) And uh, the numbness was gone. Good flesh appeared in the place of rotting flesh. Lost extremities, like maybe a nose or an ear or fingers or toes, were restored in a microsecond. Just like that. He didn't have to go through any wait and see period. And then he told him to go to the priest. Why? Well, Mark tells us that Jesus wanted the priest to know because there would be official verification of this. So it doesn't rely upon just word of mouth. So he could go, leper could go. He had already been pronounced unclean. So, I mean, there was had to have been probably some record of this. It wasn't just up for subjective guessing. That he could be declared ceremonially clean by the priest. And I would think, you know, there are records that, that show this. And therefore, he could be, this is important, socially rehabilitated and brought back into the community. So, look at this, this dramatic object lesson. Now, I'm still saving the punchline to the end though not to minimize the physical punchline, namely, here's an impossible physical condition. Jesus, with just a touch, gives instantaneous healing. All right, think sin. Think sin. Think of what Jesus does with sin. All right, we'll come back to that. But let's go to the third movement here in verses 43 to 45. A leper cleansed by Jesus is a witness to the presence of the Messiah. 
That's the, that's the carrying message here. That a leper cleansed by Jesus is a witness to the presence of the Messiah. Jesus wanted here, let's analyze this. It seems a little curious to us. We think, well, publicity, well, that's exactly what you want. That's the way we think about it. human nature is publicity. Is that ever a bad thing? <laughs> Politically, it's not. You know, in politics, name recognition is everything. <laughs> you, could be, you could be a loser, but if you've got name recognition, um, you, you've, you're well on down the road. However, Jesus wanted to keep an enthusiastic response to his healing ministry under control. He wanted to control it. He didn't want it to get out of hand. Now, healing from leprosy was rare. Now, we have examples in the Old Testament. Miriam, <laughs> she, was, uh, she was chastened by the Lord for her uh, rebellion against uh, Moses. And she was smitten with leprosy instantly. And she got healed. When there was repentance. And then there's Naaman, the Syrian uh, commanding officer who heard that there was a prophet. Was it Elijah? Elijah. Get those two mixed up sometimes. <laughs> that you could go down and there and you could get healing. That's quite a story. Uh, he goes down and he tells him you got to dip in the Jordan River. Naaman's he is offended because he's got better looking rivers up in his part of the country than that old murky, the murky. It's like telling somebody to go over here to the, the go to the South River and dip. You said, "Woo, go over there." My condition will be worse than it is. But anyway, get back off of Naaman. But he's convinced that to do what the prophet says, and he gets healed. So you have these stories in the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 14, if your condition, who knows? See. The terminology leprosy in, in Leviticus covers a wide range of skin diseases. I said psoriasis or maybe even shingles, I, though that is an internal thing. But whatever other kind of uh, skin diseases, and there are some terrible ones. I mean, there are probably hundreds, not thousands of them. And, but when you did get cleansed, if things did work out for you, whatever your condition was, you had to go and offer up was a two-bird ritual outside the camp. Two birds killed. Followed by ceremonial washing. And then you had a series of sacrifices you had to make in the sanctuary. So you had this process that you had to go through. Now Jesus here gives this cleansed leper. He gives him a very strong warning. It's an interesting word that he uses here. This word is used over in Mark 14 and verse 5. It is translated there, scold. So Jesus is sort of like, I got a picture of your mother telling you, I don't want you to go down the street and play with that kid down there. Do you understand me? <laughs> your mother ever tell you anything like that? You know, yeah, place not, not where to go, what not to do. And Jesus is giving him a, a scold, as it were. Don't tell anybody. And... So, go on and be quiet about your cure. Go and, you know, you go through protocol. Go to the, the priest. But don't go out here just blabbing it all over the place. Well, Jesus was on a divine timetable. Understand what he's doing. And he is trying to control the popularity and the crowds. He's on his way to the cross. That, that's why he doesn't want any impediments 
to the cross to get him diverted. And think also here, temptation. Was Jesus tempted by this extraordinary response to the power to heal people? I think so. Though he obeyed the will of the Father, and this was part of obeying the will of the Father, is that he wasn't here to heal everybody on the planet. And so that it required restraint. It required planning, staying on the timetable. He had to go to the cross. He had to go to the cross. So it was necessary then that the leper get pronounced clean, go to the priest and all that that meant. Just a statement here. I'm, about, I'm out of time and we'll... One last point, but I won't try to cover that. I'll just say this, that Jesus didn't come to seek fame and fortune through healing, but to suffer and die and be raised again. Mark chapter 8 and verse 30. He didn't come to seek fame and fortune, but he came to suffer and die and be raised again. Mark 8 and verse 30. And he warned them to tell no one. Now, this is further on in his ministry. And this is actually kind of the, the pinnacle of his uh, certainly the pinnacle of the first half of the book of Mark. He warned them to tell no one about him. Now, he's talking to his disciples here. And this is where Jesus asked, who do people say I am? You know, he clarified who he was. So Jesus was not overwhelmed by his popular following. So there's a temptation. He, he resisted. He was tempted in all points as we are. This is one of them. That popularity didn't get him. Well, it's gotten many a, many a Christian um, in a variety of ways. I mean, you don't have to write books and get on TV and be a movie star to have fame get to, fame get to you. Well, no need to go for that further. But his Galilean ministry, the area where he spent most of his time, it was temporarily interrupted due to... Uh, Popularity, so he could go more easily in Galilee. That's why he stayed there. Actually, is more he could find unpopulated areas more easily in up in Galilee. He was away from Jerusalem, where the religious hierarchy was deeply embedded, and uh, and what Jesus does here goes to this unpopulated area and kind of replenishes himself in prayer. That's a good reminder. Following. See, Mark is reminding us to follow the example of Jesus. And you say, well, I'm in no danger of fame and fortune. (laughs) You may think, the parade has passed me by. (laughs) What I may have done or be noted for, who who am I? Um, Well, um, we still need to have some inventory, don't we? And get ourselves along with the Lord. And... I told the preachers last night, uh, I was talking to David Crow. Uh, he was down the front row, and my charge was to him. And there were some the other staff guys there, the past senior pastor. I just reminded all of us that preachers have some occupational hazards. And I'll tell you this, men, I said, that you know, sometimes things will come together and you'll hit a home run. And people are going to really appreciate and like. I mean, if you've taught, you don't have to be a preacher to go through this. You teach or you 
whatever happens, you're, you have helped to somebody and it's appreciated. Um, it could be giving, could be mercy, could be whatever your gifts are. It doesn't have to be preaching. But I was speaking to the preachers because this is special danger. Be careful when people come up, you know, they, 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 they express appreciation. Um, you know what you do with it? You just put it behind you and you just keep moving. Don't, don't you hang around that thing. No Mondays you think, wow. Somebody said, I, they remi- I reminded them of Billy Graham. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, don't, don't you, don't get infected by that kind of thing. And so we all, whatever our circumstances, we have to go and get with the Lord to keep things in perspective, life in perspective. And, I don't know, there are varieties of things that can make that necessary, not just popularity, but but preachers need to be reminded of it. And uh, I know one preacher, never forgot this story. Um, he was a pretty good communicator. He was very popular in the area. And he was smart. And he was athletic. He was strong, a strong man. And that can attract women. And a woman would come up to him, came up to him, and wanted to pin. It was some, I don't know if it were a wedding, it was some occasion. Pin a flower on his lapel. No, you give it to his wife. You give it to my wife, she'll put it on there. I never forgot that was a kid when I heard that young guy. I thought, and I'll tell you, my pastor... I appreciate my pastor, Paul Van Gorder. He's in heaven now. He was a nice-looking man. And he he dressed. He was a good dresser, too. Just dignified. He could play the piano. And he was a man of dignity. And you just honored him. And I'm going to tell you, the women, oh, this is the 1940s and 50s, but human nature is the same. And you, you just knew that, I mean, you take, you take a woman whose husband is kind of dead wood, and he never tells her he loves her, and, and women have their battles. And, uh, but I will tell you, you know what Paul Angota's reputation was? He had, he had a firewall around him for other women. He told me one of the stories. There was a um, there was a lady who came to that church. I remember well, and she was a prostitute essentially. I mean, she dressed like it on Sundays. I used to wonder what were she? It was just heavy makeup. And anyway, there was a I don't know how much of a planned entrap attempted entrapment it was to come to him and get into the office to see him. And it was, it could easily have been entrapment and a created a circumstance where he would have really hurt his reputation. And he told me about it and what he, had, because he had this system set in place, he just didn't, no woman's going to come into his office by herself. And, and he just didn't let it happen. He was devoted to his wife. I should say that. It wasn't just that he was protecting himself from women. Uh, it wasn't self-flattery. He was devoted to his wife. 
He re- and that was the reputation that he had. I came up as a kid knowing that women don't get to him, and he loves his wife. That's big. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what young guys need to grow up with. How many? That's why and it's, I'm well over time here, but this is one of the reasons it's so tragic when pastors fall morally. What that message that sends to young people and the message it sends to marriages that are in trouble. And human nature being what it is, people can look and say, well, the preacher did it. So it gives them a little more wiggle room. We don't need much wiggle room when we're looking for an exit. And, uh, all right, how'd I get on all that? Uh, Smart wife, too, that watches. I mean, she knows that she has a husband that's in a position. Yeah. Because it's like you see all the athletes. Anytime you get in a position of influence, you're going to have folks that want to, that the demon is wanting, want to send folks to try and interrupt that. Absolutely. NFL players are given seminars on this. Watch out for these women. There are women who are devoted to hooking professional athletes. This is what they do. Because all they need to do is get pregnant, have your baby, and they got a free ticket for the rest of their lives. They've got, and they do it, and they know who they are. And the NFL knows that this is a danger, and they give these guys warnings. Well, it's like... It's like the guys being told, please don't, don't, don't autograph memorabilia, please. And they go out and do it. So these young guys, and you know, I, I, if I know of a Christian out there in the athletic world, I pray for him. Um, Tim Tebow, uh, people like that. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy, cleansing us from the hopeless condition of sin, forgiving us giving us new flesh as it were, Lord. Where would we have been if you hadn't touched us in forgiveness and grace? Thank you. Oh, Lord, where would we have been? Thank you, thank you, thank you. And may we be gospel men for your glory this week. In Christ's name, amen.